2: <laughs> I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward <laughs> from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right, so, we're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am, Am I gonna, gonna get sued? illegal legal on this. I yeah, like the like the football
0: season and all the things that
2: go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Pelazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live on YouTube and wherever you are listening to our podcast. In podcast land, today talking the top 25 players under 25 years old. Always a fun exercise every single year, Sam, and our friend Trevor Sikama put the list together. So if there's any kind of hate mail, mm-hmm. it only goes to Trevor. We're merely passing along the list and commenting on it. Right, at Tampa Bay Trey for all your feedback, not us. Yeah, go to him. If your favorite player is not number one or, you know, it's like, you know, credibility lost, if you want to, you know, drop that line in there, mm-hmm. all goes to Trevor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, we'll go through that list here today and uh, maybe some other things. We'll see how it goes.
1: You know what today is? Thursday, May 18th.
2: Anniversary of the Fro Show? No. Though it's probably the in the right kind two of Two-year anniversary yeah. of the Fro Show. I thought that's where you might be going. No. Oh,
1: by the what way, so we have had a few people ask, you know, where's this rugby video that we, we teased for an age? We're I'm still working on it. The guy I'm waiting on for the video to replicate, he plays in the European Cup final this weekend, where he will either win or lose. Either way, that's the season that's done. The so I can then badger him more, you know, aggressively for this video that he's so graciously, theoretically, supplying us at some point so it's still in the works but hasn't shown up yet unfortunately um no today apparently is the 43 year anniversary of mount saint helens erupting which i didn't know until i saw mount saint helens was trending on twitter i was like why would mount saint helens be trending did it blow up again did it go again yeah but no it's just 43 years since it blew up the first time
2: it's a big event yeah 1980 that was it huh apparently yeah yeah there was uh, a big snafu. Are you going to be? Uh, are you in the YouTube TV market? Are you going to be getting Sunday Ticket?
1: I already have YouTube TV. I haven't bought Sunday Ticket yet, but
2: I would imagine I will. Big snafu last night. Oh, yeah? I don't know if you were watching the Heat no, Celtics I saw that. game. It ruined it the out. ending somehow. How did it, what did it do? I think it just went out five minutes. Oh, it just
1: stopped showing it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Maybe... I'm a boomer and all, but maybe someday we'll have uh, one spot for all of our... Needs, shows, yeah. to, you have like a remote, change channels. I mean, it's not like... Don't have to log into different places. Regular television did that, right?
1: Isn't that what happened in the Heidi game? You could just stop showing it and went to show Heidi instead? Yeah, in 1960. Right? I'm just saying, yeah, We've come a long before. way since then.
2: Sometimes. Someone's going to have to show me how streaming's better. How we're making progress in life here in 2023. That multiple streaming applications are, are better life experience here. I mean,
1: it's just... It's, it's the same. It's not it's better, not it's not same. worse.
2: It's the same. It's not that... Like, when I'm watching the Amazon Prime game and there's also a game on ESPN, yeah. if I don't have two TVs in my house, I cannot quickly get from one to the other. You can't switch during commercials or whatever it might be. Now, I do have two TVs side by side. I can watch both, but some people like to watch multiple things at once. I mean, if you have YouTube TV, you can switch between... Oh, no, I get... but. But then the Amazon Prime game, you gotta go from YouTube TV to Amazon Prime, you'd have to go from, you
1: know, well, that's not a problem
2: in the concept. That's a problem in the specific application. No, it's the it's the problem that you have to have multiple applications. So if you want to watch college football and NFL football during Thursday night next year and you're a YouTube TV guy, Uh, you gotta flip back and forth between the app. It takes way longer than just.
1: Only if they're it's on
2: like different applications. I'm just saying someday somebody's going to invent cable and we're all going to be very excited. You think? Yeah. Okay. Picture this world. You get all your stuff and one wire connects it all. We'll call it cable. Yeah. All right. Anyway, boomer out. Um, ready to go through this? Mm-hmm. Uh, before we do, a reminder, PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? It's Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions that helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Alright, so we're talking about the best young players in the NFL. We're going to start counting down using Trevor's list. Counting down from 25. And it's Trayvon Diggs, the cornerback from the Dallas Cowboys, who two years ago had 11 interceptions back in 2021, Mm -hmm. but there was a little boom or bust to his game that year. He was more than just the 11 interceptions. He allowed over 1,000 yards in coverage. I did make one good preseason prediction last year, maybe the only one. That he got a little bit better last year, despite not having the interception. So I think Trayvon Diggs is a good player and makes sense here at 25 on the list.
1: Yeah, a couple of players that just missed this list before we get into the list itself. Uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, I think. Is he? He missed it, right? He Don't believe it's on gone. Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, Hufanga, just missed the list. Tyler Smith, Dallas Cowboys guard slash tackle. Uh, I think those are the obvious ones that just missed the cut.
2: Uh, most of the complaints about these lists are about players who are 26 years old. It's like, why didn't this guy make it? Yeah. Why didn't that guy make it? Right. Because they're not 25. Was this, uh,
1: so before, we, was this, what was his rules for the 25? Was it like 25 at the start of the season? 25 as of right now, published date? These are questions you got to answer.
2: Under the age of 25, when week one begins. There you go, begins,
1: it critical. It is so not their current
2: age at the yeah. moment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Trayvon Diggs, number 25, Dallas Cowboys.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I think Diggs is a has progressed. He was not nearly as good as the 11 interceptions um, that one season. He gave up a ton that play. He tightened it up last year. And, okay, you got the downside of variance. You're not going to get 11 interceptions every single season. But he became a better player. He's not uh, as prone to big lapses and getting beat as often. And now I think it should be really fascinating to watch him in year three where he has Stephon Gilmore on the other side. And, you know, there's, there's help.
2: Yeah, so I think you know, it could be the best year ever for Trayvon Diggs here in the Cowboys. Uh, we have another cornerback coming in at number 24. And this is an interesting one, Tariq Woolen, mm. the cornerback out of the, out of the Seattle, for the Seattle Seahawks. Now, he's the type of guy who next year could be off the list completely right? or could be in the top five. With yeah. that, you know, So I'm not saying that he's going to regress necessarily, but we still only have one year of excellent data. We know that coverage grades and, or just coverage performance can fluctuate a little bit. But he really peaked way earlier than I expected, right? As one of the best combines we've ever seen. Looked like a project coming out of UTSA. Falls all the way to the fifth round, which was shocking to me. I thought the NFL would buy into those traits as a fifth rounder. Unbelievable first season for the Seahawks. Went to a great place. They developed him. He had six picks and was just almost impossible to complete deep passes against, which is uh, very Seahawks-like.
1: Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I, he, I I find it very difficult to know what to do about uh, corners that have that one incredible season right out of the gate, um, because we know that coverage is so volatile. It, it fluctuates year to year. So our, we were able to very easily predict, you know, Trevon Diggs... We'll take a step back in terms of statistics next year. He's not going to get 11 interceptions next year. That's obvious. Um, it's not as obvious when, you know, the the number isn't insane. It's maybe at the high end of expectations, but it's not, like, completely outlandish, and the guy does have the good ball skills that Woolen or Diggs has. So it's – and also it's complicated by when you have a guy like – Woolen, who's extremely young at the position, you know, hasn't played corner for his entire career, you know, dating back to, to day dot. You're right. The, the range of outcomes for him next year is crazy. Like, he could immediately become one of those best corners in the NFL, and we're now looking at a superstar, or it could be something similar, you know, reasonably um, volatile the way that Diggs was. A lot of big plays, a lot of getting beat as well. Or it could be a step backwards. You know, His rookie year was this unexpected, really high performance that we hadn't even really seen from him in college, let alone a, a giant step up in competition. I, I find it very difficult to slot guys like that. I mean, Diggs is a good example of, of what can happen. A guy that's a little higher up on the list as well is another good example, AJ Terrell, who had that incredible year and then really stepped back last year, just looked lost in a different uh, season. So Slotting Woolen, I think, was was a difficult task in this.
2: Yeah, Tariq Woolen. You know, a lot of Seahawks fans wanted him as defensive rookie of the year because of the six interceptions. Also had ten pass breakups. Of course, the difference between between him and Sauce Gardner. Um, always, there's different schemes and people are being asked to do different things. But Sauce just didn't give up anything, basically. Right. Whereas Woolen um, still gave up some yards, some touchdowns. He had 14 missed tackles in there as well. He kind of struggled in the run game. There were games where he had four, three or four missed tackles. So it wasn't perfect for Woolen, but for a fifth-round pick, with those tools and the size and everything, it's like, wow, that's a great start to his career, and you could see that upper trajectory.
1: Yeah, I mean, Woolen's, it's, it's very different, but it was on the digs' end of the spectrum in terms of production and performance. Like, Sauce Gardner gave up. Uh, less than 50% of the passes thrown his way were caught. Um, The passer rating he allowed was one of the best in the NFL. He allowed one touchdown all season long, and that was the kind of communications breakdown in that secondary, which I'm sure he will still contest was not his fault. I feel like it can only be his fault, but the point is it's at least debatable, right? Tariq Woolen, on the other hand, gave up five touchdowns he you know gave up 56 percent of the passes into his coverage he gave up almost 600 yards for a higher yards per attempt like the losses were there in a way that they weren't really for Gardner
2: all right let's go to number 23 on the list it's Chris Alave wide receiver from the New Orleans Saints we got a little NFC South run coming up here Alave with a fantastic rookie year 82.9 receiving grade and he was an explosive playmaker for the Saints remember last year six wide receivers go In the top 18 and a bunch of them made this list are are, are we going to look back at the 2022 draft class where we anticipated we thought it was a very deep Mm -hmm. receiving class and we're going to say hey this is one of the better classes to come out in a while we've actually had a couple of those over the last few years alave one of the good ones coming out last year yeah i think probably you look
1: back at the just from year one garrett wilson drake london chris alave christian watson Jahan dotson Traylon burks could take a step forward this year pickens Um, Romeo Dobbs, I think there's still some substance to that hype from last preseason. Who knows what he can be? And then the guys that sort of didn't really get a chance um, to show necessarily what they could do in year one, but we liked at the time, guys like Wandel Robinson, Sky Moore, um, a lot of people that were sort of injured and and didn't get a ton. Jamison Williams, obviously, with the sort of redshirt year. I mean, that could be a genuinely special receiving class and as good as anything we've seen come out, at least in terms of depth
2: for a long time. All right, I want to crank through the next couple because they're all Atlanta Falcons. Let's put them all together, man. The, uh, you know, if we had fewer question marks at quarterback, might be talking about the Falcons as the uh, sleeper darling going into next year. Number 22 is cornerback A.J. Terrell. Mm -hmm. Number 21, tight end Kyle Pitts. And then number 20, wide receiver Drake London. So three Falcons in a row all have come into the league, of course, over the last few years. But Terrell... Has been solid at cornerback. Took a bit of a step back last year, but it was unbelievable in 2021. Kyle Pitts, we didn't see the actual production last year because they just didn't throw the ball a lot in Atlanta. But he's still a a special player capable of being um, not just an explosive playmaker, but a mismatch creator. And then Drake London, another one of those guys. Receiver, drafted last year, and the first receiver drafted in 2022. I, I thought it was a bit of a surprise for us that he went above garrett wilson and chris Olave, but drake london very good rookie season for the falcons so three straight falcons here good players under 25.
1: yeah terrell is this he's the perfect poster child right now for the volatility of coverage um 57 pff coverage grade year one 85.6 year two and then 61.7 year three um even like and the the coverage numbers kind of back it up gave up a passer rating of 109 in his first year then 47, then 116. I mean, he's been all over the place. And touchdowns, same kind of idea. Five the first year, three the second year, nine last year. Um, he's kind of been all over the place. I think his potential is still really high. Uh, it's just this is how hard playing corner at a consistently high level is in the NFL. Like, it's it's insanely difficult to put together those really good seasons and then backing them up the next year is is – I don't want to say it's almost impossible, but there are not that many players that can rattle off consecutively good, you know, 85-plus coverage grade seasons one after another.
2: Yeah, I think the easiest way to understand that is that cornerback, cornerback production is probably the most dependent on other things around them than anything else. Um, if, but if you can, you know, going back to the Darrell Rivas thing, when we break down his 2009 season, the fact that he was so good from start to finish – Like when you do have those special seasons or multiple seasons of a guy being special, it's like, all right, you know, Stephon Gilmore for the three straight years in New England where he was consistently this high 80s, low 90s coverage grade in a difficult role. You just don't see that often. You just don't see that many corners who are consistent year to year because it does depend on your matchup. It does depend on whether or not there's pressure up front. It does depend on the scheme and what you're asked to do. There are a lot of just dependencies when it comes to cornerback production
1: and just so much I mean luck is not the right word so much chance involved in timing and you know the the stuff at the catch point so even if like let's say you ran that 2009 Rivas season back again and you put him you know at the catch point in tight coverage the way he was with every single one of those plays and basically just replayed the catch point over again like how many end up with the same result versus you know, maybe this time a pass breakup, actually he misses that one slightly and it's a catch and it's a touchdown or whatever. Like the difference between great play on the ball, you know, really positive cornerback play and up, you got beat, negative, is minuscule. So a lot of the times when you're looking at these corners and you're trying to project who's actually a good player, who's going to succeed, where's the long-term positivity here, you kind of look at the first part, right? Are you in close coverage most of the time? Because that's the building block. That's the first step. And then if you are, it's okay. Now let's see if we can catch the other end of variance. So instead of getting beat every time at the catch point, you're making some plays at the catch point, or at least stopping them making plays. But a lot of the time, the difference between those two can just be chance and variance one year to the next.
2: All right. So we have Kyle Pitts and Drake London makes you think, man, these Falcons do have some yeah, some playmakers to work with here. Drake London with an eighty-five point three receiving grade, just edged out by the next guy on the list. Will be Garrett Wilson from the Jets. But so London had the number two receiving grade among rookies last year. Seventy-two catches, twelve yards a pop. As long as he didn't wear sleeves, Sam, mm. where he kept fumbling. Remember, he was it, he had to take the sleeves off because he kept fumbling. That was the only issue <laughs> last had, year. I think it's it like had, twice.
1: Yeah, he fumbled twice, but I think the one with this I, he. He fumbled once when he had a sleeve on and then took him off. And I think it's – you know, I don't know if that was a real
2: cause thing as
1: opposed to I thought it was two
2: weeks in a row. I think think it was two weeks in a row that he fumbled. I think he fumbled
1: fumbled two weeks in a row, but I I don't know if the sleeves were responsible two weeks in a row.
2: Anyway, Drake London for a big receiver, runs routes well, excellent player. And, you know, I I don't – what? At least in breaking routes. In breaking routes, yes. Yes. Um, But between him and Pitts, I do wonder if the Falcons – with Ritter under center are going to get away I mean they're not going to throw the ball 15 times a game like they were at times with Mariota last year so we should see some more opportunities for both of those guys
1: yeah they the the Pitts thing they still need to just figure out Um, you know people there's the narrative right now of oh they just have no idea how to use Kyle Pitts or they're not using him enough and if you look at um kind of target rate he's one of the highest players in the NFL so it's not that they don't use him enough relative to how much they're passing the ball. Because remember, this is the most run-heavy offense in the NFL, the only team in the league last year to call run more often than they call pass. Relative to how much they pass, Kyle Pitts is getting the ball as much as anybody in the NFL. The problem is, it still feels like that isn't best using his skill set, right? It still feels like we're leaving some meat on the bone here. So I think they have a challenge. Kyle Pitts, who is genuinely this unicorn talent of player that can play tight end or x wide receiver and probably anything in between is not being used to the degree that people think he should be used now does 28
2: that be- catches for 356 last year after yeah. a thousand yard season
1: right but even if you sort of lump the two years together and kind of look at what that looks like overall it's i mean it's good but it's not unicorn travis kelsey we've never seen this before you know madness they, i think they just they're gonna need to figure out what his role is in this offense. And if he is, like, if this is an offense that simply doesn't pass the ball enough, he will look
2: underused. Obviously, the run blocking has never been Kyle Pitt's strength. He's graded in the 50s the last two years. Is there a certain way that you would use him differently? Like, you still have to line him up in line just to help create those mismatches, right? But I don't want to just completely convert him to a 6'6 six, six wide receiver. Well, particularly when you, you want draft
1: to Drake London. Like, you right. draft the guy who essentially takes the spot that Kyle Pitts would theoretically be able to man as your number one wide receiver as well. So, obviously, you're only talking about two players. You can absolutely accommodate two guys in an offense, even one as run heavy as Atlanta's. But I think it is challenging figuring out how to maximize what you have in Kyle Pitts whilst accommodating Drake London and the most run-heavy offense in the league at the same time.
2: All right, we're counting down from 25, the top 25 players under 25 years old per Trevor Sykema over at pff.com. You can get the full list over there. Read his article, check it out. We're we're revealing them for people that haven't heard them yet, though. Um, so we're counting down. We're down to number 19. One more rule I need to throw out there. Oh. We're not factoring, factoring in positional value. so this is not... Who would we start the franchise with? It's not just who are the best quarterbacks. It is just who are the best players, regardless of positions, position besides fullbacks and kickers, obviously. Uh, But number 19, Garrett Wilson from the New York Jets. Again, another rookie wide receiver last year. The highest graded rookie receiver last year. Yep. And a guy whose production would have been off the charts if he didn't have some of those really bad Zach Wilson games in there.
1: Yeah. So I'm really excited to see what he can do with Aaron Rodgers throwing him the ball. Hopefully... They're able to build that rapport quicker than it usually takes a receiver with Aaron Rodgers. It's generally speaking, kind of a lead up time before he trusts them to make those back shoulder reads and the same things, you know, be on the same page telepathically the way he's been with, you know, Jordy Nelson or Devontae Adams. But if they can develop that quickly, then I mean, Garrett Wilson was a freak show last year. He was incredible at all
2: levels and
1: with the ball in his hands before the ball got in his hands I mean he just looked fantastic
2: yeah I forget what the exact stats were but there was definitely there was a point where people said if you just if you just gave him Joe Flacco and Mike White I mean not necessarily the best QBs in the world but he'd be on pace for 1,900 2,000 yards basically he was
1: essentially in lockstep with Jamar Chase's you know debut season where he was insane uh if you just live you just took out the Zach Wilson games and projected that out over a full season
2: Uh, 26 explosive plays of 20 yards or more so yeah very excited to see Garrett Wilson and Aaron Rodgers I think we could see Devontae Adams like numbers perhaps maybe that's uh, a little bit too much but it's I I think you're gonna see Rodgers lean on Wilson at that level I think he'll become his Devontae Adams from uh hey it's third down I'm starting with Garrett Wilson and then going to the rest of. my options here, so could be a huge year for Garrett Wilson going forward. Mm-hmm. Number eighteen. Now, remember, I said positional value <laughs> is this is not who we're going to start a franchise with. But we got Trevor Lawrence at number eighteen. Now, I probably would have put him higher on Same. the list, and given I, given what Trevor Lawrence did down the stretch last year.
1: Agreed, I would put him higher, and I in fact lobbied for him to be higher. He has moved up since the initial, uh, not the initial list was published, but like the the draft was shown to me. He's like, ah, oh, what, what are your thoughts? It's like, well, I would move Trevor Lawrence up. And he did, but not as up as I would have moved him. Um, yeah, I agree. Based off the back end of last year, Trevor Lawrence absolutely looks like he has arrived as you know one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. And assuming that stays static or even continues to improve, then he, he belongs higher on this list.
2: Yeah, I think the it is easy to say like if you just stack up the last couple seasons and look at grades which are pretty good indicators for what's going to happen going forward if you just stack those up it's not particularly impressive for Trevor Lawrence because his rookie season was not all that good but I think his ranking or you know us wanting to rank him higher is completely on the back of since week eight week nine whenever you want to say he he did turn the corner third highest PFF passing grade behind Joe Burrow and uh, Patrick Mah- Patrick Mahomes since week nine yeah and it also just looked different and it wasn't it wasn't just that it looked different we know Trevor Lawrence has this special ability we know he's been sitting on it he had, he had flashed it at times and then it came out where he, he took better care of the ball he showed the special throws 6.4 percent big time throw rate from week nine and on mm-hmm. those are the things that we expected right special throws But also, I thought what really set Trevor Lawrence apart at Clemson was his decision-making and taking care of the ball. We didn't see that his first year and a half in the league. So Trevor Lawrence cleans a lot of that up right around midseason last year. On top of, let's let's not forget, it was the the Urban Meyer year, right? I mean, the, the way that people described the Urban Meyer 2021 season and how they had to, like, you know, just change the culture and get rid of the stink and like the, the phrases that were used were insane <laughs> right i had to you know get these guys mentally right and get people loving football before like all of those it's like things. trauma they had to go through therapy yes <clears throat> so um the jags came out of therapy around week eight or nine yeah. last year led by trevor lawrence
1: i mean his numbers are very very similar to joe burrows if you look at week nine onwards last year uh no matter what number you look at, there are three quarterbacks in the NFL that had a 90-plus PFF grade since Week 9 last year. Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Trevor Lawrence. Josh Allen was fourth at 88, and then there's a big gap between those four and Jalen Hurts next up and the rest of the quarterbacks after that. But even box score numbers, you know, 20 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. Burrow was 22 and 8. Yards per attempt for the two guys was basically the same. Completion rate was basically the same. I mean... Since that period, he has been playing effectively like Joe Burrow or Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, we know that's a pretty small sample size. It could just be an incredible run. Having said that, it is, it's the right kind of time for that jump to be made when you factor in time in the NFL, the therapy that needed to happen to get rid of the Urban Meyer stink on that entire franchise. It makes sense, right? So it's... It, you can look at it two ways you can look at it from a purely divorced, clinical scientific you know viewpoint and say well this is not a big enough sample to say anything we'll wait and see you know with the glasses on and just take a a firm approach of who nobody knows anything or you can say look we're human beings we ascribe patterns where we see them this looks like the right pattern of the time we would expect him to show what he's capable of so I'm more inclined to believe that Trevor Lawrence has actually
2: arrived than I am that he just rode, you know, eight weeks of good play. It might not happen today, but we do uh, have slated a little more discussion on that 2021 QB class. Five first rounders all going in different directions, and we'll kind of reset that either today or tomorrow, maybe, on the podcast, maybe when I get back next week. Who knows? Uh, Number 17 on the list, though, Amonra St. Brown, wide receiver from the Detroit Lions. It's another wide receiver run here, but... St. Brown has become one of the best possession receivers in the NFL. 90.4 receiving grade last year. And I don't use possession as a knock. I use it as, you know, the, he, it's not so much the explosive plays. It's just the dude gets open and moves the chains. Mm-hmm. And that's a, obviously a very valuable thing in the NFL.
1: No, it is. But And, you know, his average at the target last year is 6.7 yards downfield. How so he's used. that's that's possession receiver. You know, it's a guy who is catching the underneath things consistently and not necessarily stretching the field uh, and and making those big explosive plays. So it's a descriptor. You know, possession receiver in the case of Amon or Brown is not a pejorative. It's simply describing how the Lions deploy him and make best use of him. He is exceptionally good at running routes, getting open underneath and moving the chains. Like 139 targets uh, last season, a 90-plus PFF grade for a guy that was drafted in, what, the fourth round? It's, he's, just, he's become a fantastic player for them.
2: And then at number 16, another wide receiver, Devontae Smith from the Philadelphia Eagles. I think it's nice for Devontae that he gets to be the number two there for Philadelphia. A big yeah. part of probably opening things up was adding A.J. Brown last year, but he had his 77 grade as a rookie, jumped up to 81 last year. Our big question coming out was his size and would he, would he be able to handle the physicality as, as one of the most productive, if not the most productive receiver in college football history. Wins a Heisman, and, you know, he was just unstoppable at all levels in college. And there were times last year where we saw him as a downfield threat, not just an after-the-catch threat, and really rounding out his game last year as a sophomore.
1: Yeah, and, you know, he he had only a slightly worse contested catch rate last season than A.J. Brown. So we have this really interesting world where we don't know if, if Devontae Smith just got better relative to NFL competition last year, or if he is taking advantage of the fact that A.J. Brown now takes, you know, the the more difficult coverage assignments and maybe the physicality away from him a little bit, and he can just rely on being Devontae Smith, the guy that's an exceptional route runner, is really good with body control, is good after the catch. I mean, he, he made a bunch of people miss, 15 missed tackles force with the ball in his hand. So I, I think he's a fantastic receiver. It's just now we have this, Sort of slightly muddy picture where it's difficult to know if he
2: would, if, would that have happened if you don't put A.J. Brown on that offense? Uh, so Devontae Smith comes in at number 16. At number 15, offensive tackle Christian Darisaw from the Minnesota Vikings, another guy that uh, started off good as a rookie and then took another big step last year.
1: Yeah. And well, so it was interesting. His rookie grades were fine. Um, 71.9 overall, 77 as a run blocker, but only 63 as a pass blocker. He gave up 22 total pressures, five sacks on a little uh, under 400 pass blocking snaps. So those aren't great stats, but when you watch the tape, like particularly given the players that the Vikings had had at left tackle for a while, the difference between those guys and Darasaw, even as a rookie, was night and day. Like you watch the tape and it's like, okay, He's giving up pressure here, but his movement is phenomenal. Like, he's getting himself into pretty good positions and then just not quite being able to finish or not quite being able to anchor and and really nail it all down. And then last year, we just saw this big step forward from him. You know, a year in the NFL, maybe a year stronger with a a nutrition program. You know, the the Vikings, strength and conditioning, nutrition, all those kinds of things. And we just saw basically a different player, a 90-plus PFF grade, a guy that was playing... At an all-pro level for almost the
2: entirety of the season yeah don't use the <laughs> five sacks though I, I i don't know how many ways i can say this like just don't look at the sack totals right so if you looked at so first off if you did it would tell a story that he got better he has almost Darisaw, the exact same sacks hits and hurries allowed in both seasons but he had about like 150 sh- of the pass blocking yeah sacks. 200 plus more pass blocking attempts last year so both years he gave up five sacks both years he gave up six qb hits and then one year it was a rookie 11 hurries and then 12 hurries last year so pressure is almost identical mm-hmm. um, but you know like one of those sacks that you know gets charged as a sack was against Micah Parsons whereas it's a short drop he loses the block kind of early but with a lot of depth from Parsons and he's taking this wide angle and Kirk Cousins rolls out and just never throws the ball away and he gets sacked. And if Kirk Cousins does throw the ball away, it doesn't count as a sack. It's still the same grade, right? It's still, yeah, he probably should have blocked Micah Parsons better, but it wasn't egregious. So the grade tells the story, I think, for Darisaw. 82 pass-blocking grade last year. Only three games under 65 as a pass-blocker and uh, just developed into a into a really good overall player. It is uh, worth, I mean, that that Micah Parsons game is worth highlighting because
1: Darisaw was definitely better last year. He didn't face the most difficult slate of pass rushers in the world. Like maybe this year. I haven't looked at what his schedule is in terms of individual matchups this year. But there's a pretty good chance it's more challenging than it was last year simply based off who he faced. uh, Micah Parsons kicked his ass over the course of 18 snaps before Darasaw was taken from the game. He was concussed the week before. Wasn't that right? He left that game with a concussion. They rushed him back concussed again in the right. Dallas game then they took him out after 18 snaps and then he had to miss a few games but like Micah Parsons is obviously as good a pass rusher as anybody in the NFL and fairly well kicked his ass early in that game now apparently we were dealing with a you know previously concussed Christian Darasau so maybe that wasn't a fair reflection in itself just saying generally incredible season at least worth looking at the slate of guys he had to go up against
2: all fair So Darius at 15. At number 14, it's wide receiver T. Higgins from the Cincinnati Bengals. Looks like one of two receivers for the Bengals here. So Higgins, who we've talked a lot about to Bengals fans' dismay as a potential uh, trade candidate, because the rest of the league should want a T. Higgins, right? The rest of the league, how many teams is T. Higgins the number one wide receiver? Not, it's not like all the league, but you know, 10, 10, 10, 12 teams that would love T. Higgins, and that shows just what the Bengals have with Jamar Chase and. Higgins, there.
1: I mean, last year was a big year for him, I think, because he showed that it wasn't just a product of Jamar Chase. Yeah. Because it was a stretch of the season where Jamar Chase was out and T. Higgins had some of his best games during that run where he had to be the number one guy. So, you know, statistically, last season wasn't really any better than the year before. And depending on the statistic you use, it was worse. Um, But. I think the situation was different where he answered those questions. That hey, I can actually be a number one when there's no other option out there. Not just when, not just look like a number one when I have one of the best receivers in the NFL on the other side.
2: Yeah, that was a that was very important, I think, for Higgins and his development and for the Bengals because they they needed that pick me up, obviously, with uh, with when Jamar Chase was out. So Higgins is at 14 here. Starting to see all the receiver talent that has entered the league over the last few years, Sam. There's still more to come here. Uh, Panay Sewell's next on the list, number 13 for the Detroit Lions. A right tackle now, right? Remember, he came left tackle coming out of Oregon and struggled at right tackle initially. Was better when he had to fill in at left tackle, and he settled in now back at right tackle. So a good, solid all-around player. Remember, Sewell was really young coming in. I, I thought he was one of the better tackle prospects we had seen. In a while, there's another, uh, you know, the guy that came in with him, Rayshawn Slater, is going to be showing up on this list a little bit later on. And uh, Sewell comes in at 13. He's had a a nice couple seasons for the Lions.
1: Yeah, just really consistent. Um, Incredibly good run blocking grades, 83-plus each of the the last two years. Pass blocking improved last season. But just a really, really high baseline for, uh, you know, a player that was one of the better tackle
2: prospects we've seen come into the league. It is interesting, if you stack up Sewell's two years, it's probably better than some of the other tag- – it's probably r- better than what Darasaw's done, just from a two-year right. at, you know add-up-the-grade standpoint. Better than Darasaw, better than probably what we've seen from a guy like Andrew Thomas, who was so bad when he started. Yeah, But Sewell hasn't hit that elite grade just yet, whereas a Darasaw touched a 90, and Andrew Thomas has been up in that 90 range. Sewell's just been consistent, high 70s, low 80s. But you could see him one of these years taking that jump, high 80s, low 90s type of grade uh, because – He's still young. He's still he's going to be 22 yeah. on opening day it's still. Like right? He's so. really, really young. And,
1: you know, that we talk a lot about – people talk all the time about a year three jump. I mean, tackle is one of those spots where that is a real thing. That's generally speaking a fair development arc for offense tackles. Year three, you're going to start to see their best play. You know, he's taken a step forward year one to year two, particularly as a pass blocker. Year three, if he takes another significant step forward, now we are talking about a guy that's in that kind of all-pro range. He One thing to note about him, he gets a lot of penalties, double digits in each of his first two seasons. I mean, that's something you would want to clean up.
2: Uh, yeah, and Sewell, he also just didn't play a lot of football at Oregon. So we're talking about a guy that – um relatively young football player despite playing over 1,000 snaps each of the last two years for the Lions. I'm expecting another big jump for Panay Sewell here. So he'll be higher on this list next year. He's also got uh, two more years where he can be on this list sure, because he is so young. All right, number 12, running back Jonathan Taylor. We mentioned this isn't uh, who we're going to start our team with or anything like that. It's just who the best players are. Uh, Taylor did take a step back last year with the similar – regression from the Colts offensive line so not to take anything away from Taylor but you know what we try to highlight about the running back position is the dependency on those around you which is greater than other positions but Taylor was outstanding in 2021 one of the few running backs who you're sitting there at midseason and somebody shouts out this guy should be in the MVP race you don't get that often but Taylor got that in 2021 coming off a four touchdown game against Buffalo and uh, he's just a I think him Nick Chubb Derrick Henry, maybe like just the best pure runners in the NFL?
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. I don't even, I wouldn't even push too hard in the idea that he was worse last year as opposed to the situation around him just collapsed. I mean, the Colts offense fell apart to the point where Matt Ryan, who had some pretty good performances the year previous, could not function in the NFL last season. Like Matt Ryan, a grizzled, seasoned, veteran quarterback, cerebral guy who knows, you know, seen everything, could not do anything in that Colts offense a year ago. So the exact same situation applies to Jonathan Taylor, who went from you know league-leading rusher, incredible numbers, incredible grade production off the charts, you know MVP conversation to meh, under a thousand yards, like just not good production across the board. But this was not the, the the driving force. There was not Jonathan Taylor being worse randomly the season following. It was simply a perfect case study of everything we talk about with running backs, which is the by far the biggest determining factor of your success is going to be how good the situation around you is. And the situation around him last year was crap. Um, was. Taylor still averaged over three yards per attempt after contact last season. The dude broke 42 tackles on 192 attempts. That's good. It's yes. just everything else was bad.
2: I, I do love watching Taylor as a runner. I, I, th- I think he's... One of those few guys who's good as a gap runner, gap scheme, zone scheme, whatever it might be. You know, he's, He could do it all. Um, pretty good receiver. You mentioned what he creates after the catch. Jonathan Taylor is just good all around. Mm-hmm. So number 12 on our top 25 list, under 25. We're counting down. We're down to number 12 now. Full article over at PFF.com. Trevor Sykema puts the list together. So if you have any hate, you just direct it toward him. Mm-hmm. We're just the messengers here. We're just commenting on it, just having a full discussion about the
0: players. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in america
2: number 11 on the list another wide receiver it's jalen waddle from the miami dolphins the speed has played man 82.6 grade last year second straight season over a thousand yards 119.2 passer rating when targeting him waddle has proven that he could be a big play threat in the nfl
1: Yeah, and pivoted more to that kind of role in the offense. So remember year one, Miami, almost everything he ran was like a shallow drag or that kind of whip route where he fakes the shallow drag and then pivots back outside. Like everything, they they were just high volume underneath, give the ball to Jalen Waddell as much as humanly possible on these quick, shallow, easy passes. So his average depth of target year one was like seven, something like that in the uh, Monroe St. Brown possession receiver type of range and when they bring in Tyreek Hill you bring in the Mike McDaniel offense the the system that kind of generates these uh, more open targets and enables them to attack deeper downfield etc all of a sudden his average at the target almost doubles goes up to 12.7 last season so Despite having fewer targets and fewer catches, he gained 400 more yards, and his yards per reception jumped from 9.8 to 17.9. Like, we just saw a completely different role and deployment of Jalen Waddle with Tyreek
2: Hill and Mike McDaniel, you know, the, the changes in Miami. So much good receiving talent coming into the NFL since 2020. And a lot of these guys got to get paid over the next few years. It's going to be fascinating watching the market, the next three or four years, watching the wide receiver market. He's
1: another good example, by the way, of we talked about the volatility of coverage stance and in particular at the catch point. I mean, that's the key here is that what happens at the catch point is generally speaking, a wild, chaotic, just lucky environment, right? Both sides. So sometimes you're going to catch the ball. Sometimes the other guy is going to catch the ball. Sometimes madness is going to happen and it bounces. Who who knows, right? So that reflects itself in cornerback coverage stats, but it also reflects itself in contested catch stats, where year one, uh, Jalen Waddell caught 70.6% of his contested targets. Year two, 22.7%. So just a good example of how wildly inconsistent that is as a data point
2: for exactly the same reasons. All right, we're on to, uh, by the way, that is, when you're describing that, it's not because we can't identify a players who are good or not good at the catch point. It's that the actual results do tend to vary, even yeah. though you could say, hey, this guy is good at the catch point. This guy doesn't necessarily have the best skills, but because it's usually a small sample every year, depends on who you're going up against. It depends on the throw a little bit.
1: But it's also just the nature of what that is. It's split-second instant reactions to changing circumstances amongst multiple different players whilst trying, you know, with a ball in the air. Like, the whole thing is a chaotic mismatch of of factors that can change the result from incredibly good EPA play, you know, incredibly good sort of value play for the defense— to incredibly good value play for the offense and anything in the between, right? The bounce of the ball, the, inst- like the, the micro differences in do you touch it, do you not touch it, like those can range from intercepting it, batting it down, the ball goes through, nobody catches it, to it bounces, the receiver catches it, touchdown, like the, the whole thing is kind of just a, a complete chaotic mess.
2: All right, we're into the top 10 here. Top 10 players under 25 heading into the 2023 NFL season. Number 10 is Giants offensive tackle Andrew Thomas. Mentioned him a couple players ago. Started off really slow in 2020, mm-hmm. but turned it around, man. And over these last couple of years, Andrew Thomas has been one of the better tackles in the league. It's funny. There's... um. Some people love Andrew Thomas, think he's the best tackle of all time, some Giants fans, mm-hmm. think he's incredible. Um, and some people don't love Andrew Thomas. But a couple numbers, 95th percentile pass blocker over the last couple of years, 88.7 over the last two years in the NFL.
1: Who doesn't like him?
2: I don't know, I saw people in the chat. I can't believe Andrew Thomas is up there. Why is Andrew Thomas up there? Okay. Um, he also has this knack for not losing, right? Because we're grading every single player on every play, it's not just, hey, this guy made a great block. We're also tracking when they lose. And Andrew Thomas has lost, has the lowest percentage of negative grades, uh, uh, lowest percentage of any tackle over the last couple of years. So he's just not losing a whole lot of blocks. Number one in that number since 2021
1: yeah i mean his improvement is is crazy based off what he was as a rookie but a big part of that was you know they rebuilt his technique in year one they didn't kind of let's see what we can get out of him as a rookie and then try and fix him in the offseason they went no we're going to rebuild your your technique we're going to rebuild your pass sets we're going to change your footwork we're going to change everything and it means that you're going to go through a year of getting your ass kicked because you're new at this you know it's it's not natural you're already having this giant step up in competition it's gonna be rough but the payoff is gonna come year two year three where you now get to take advantage of having better technique in addition to your skills and you know your athletic gifts and all those kinds of things and i think it's a real it's a real lesson for understanding the situation that rookies are in right it's not necessarily this is just who this guy is right now. You've got to bear in mind, are they being asked to do something different? Are they changing an element of it? Like, are they working through something at the time when they are either struggling or doing amazingly? Like, situation matters a ton, as does, is this guy's technique being messed with at the time? Like,
2: That does remind me, I do want to take a look at year two and three players, maybe a, a show down the road here, where we look at year two and three players who are ready to break out, ready to, or they already started taking a step last year and they're going to go further, whatever. Some of them might be on this list already, but um, there might be some players like Thomas who we just not rode off, but you just didn't have high expectations really heading into year two. And all of a sudden, boom, things changed. And uh, he's continued his upward trajectory Mm -hmm. uh, heading into year four. Uh, Number nine on the list, another wide receiver, CeeDee Lamb from the Dallas Cowboys. So we see Amari Cooper gets traded before the year and CeeDee Lamb takes over as the number one. And not only that, but Michael Gallup was coming back from injury, and they just didn't have the same receiver depth. It was C.D. Lamb and Dalton Schultz trying to do the majority of the heavy lifting for the pass game for Dallas, and uh, Lamb was, was fed, man. I mean, that's, Dak, that's who Dak Prescott was relying on, yeah. and he came through. C.D. Lamb is that type of player who can win inside or outside, he can win down the field. He can win after the catch, and I think he showed that last year for the Cowboys. It's
1: going to be fascinating to see the dynamic this year when Brandon Cooks is in the building. You know, somebody legitimate to take the pressure off CD Lamb and see exactly how those two guys uh, work in terms of deployment, in terms of target share, in terms of you know how they threaten defenses, etc. That's a fascinating wide receiver year draft wise, 2020. Because remember, at the time the debate at the top was the the quote-unquote big three wide receivers it was jerry judy from alabama it was cd lamb from oklahoma and then it was um henry ruggs yes henry ruggs who obviously from alabama as well who is now in jail uh but that was the sort of which one of those three guys is going to be the the guy that you take number one and you had the best wide receiver by a distance from that class has been justin jefferson who was what fifth sixth wide receiver taken um and actually, you know, Jefferson has been the best. T. Higgins has been right up there with CeeDee Lamb. Brandon Ayuk has emerged as, as being one of those legit guys as well. And then later on, you've got guys like Michael Pittman, Darnell Mooney. You know, Van Jefferson has, has made some plays. Um, Chase Claypool had, has flashes. But it's, it's been a very unusual wide receiver group where maybe the focus was in the wrong place in terms of where the real
2: talent was. Also, really interesting to me, like, when we were breaking down the Cowboys draft, and I said, ah, it felt like, this felt like a need-based draft for right. the Cowboys. The the two They have two players in the top 10. You know, spoiler, uh, spoiler alert here. C.D. Lamb's one of them. And the two players that are in the top 10 were the non-need-based picks, right? They picked C.D. Lamb when they were already pretty good at receiver, and they picked the other guy when they were already good at his position. Don't want to give it away, but... I love when the Cowboys pick the best players on the board. It seems like it pays off far more than just, you know, filling needs.
1: Yeah, I mean, as a wide receiver class, it reminds me a little bit of the one I sent you last night, the 2001 wide receiver class, which contained Reggie Wayne, Chad Johnson, Santana Moss, Chad Ochocinco, Steve Smith, T.J. Hushmanzada, but the first three wide receivers off the board were David Terrell, Corin Robinson, and Rod Gardner. It's like we had the right – like this was a really talented class – no, just not necessarily in the right order.
2: Why were you looking at the 2001 class last night?
1: For specifically that reason, I saw that it contained that group of wide receivers. I was like, wow, how good was this wide receiver class? And then yeah. you pull it up, and it's like, oh, it was
2: good. Who they was not Corn in... Robinson and who? Uh, Rod Gardner.
1: David Terrell.
2: David Terrell, yeah, yeah, yeah. Corn yeah. Robinson, Rod Gardner. I and did watch that draft recently. Freddie
1: Mitchell was drafted ahead of Reggie Wayne. You know, like, the, it was a wild group. Chris Chambers was in that group as well.
2: He became one of the better receivers pretty quickly chambers chambers he had like one group. year where he looked like the best wide receiver in the nfl and I think then just didn't really do it again early on in his career was it like he looked really good right wisconsin never threw in the ball so it was tough to uh tough to project him all right so cd lamb's number nine we're up to number eight counting down from 25 number eight is offensive tackle rayshon slater from the los angeles chargers now he missed most of the 2022 season but he was outstanding as a rookie remember he and Pinay sewell came in same mm-hmm. class and a similar trajectory between Slater and Pinay Sewell, other than Sewell had his struggles moving to right tackle, whereas Slater just stepped right in at left tackle for the Chargers and uh, looked really good right away.
1: Yeah, and I think his baseline as a pass blocker has been higher than yeah. Panay Sewell's as well, um, which is, I think, the biggest reason why he's higher on this list. But, yeah, like Rashawn Slater comes in despite having short arms, 33-inch arms, doesn't matter. Guy's just really, really good as a pass-protecting pass left tackle and has, you know, back – well, back-to-back seasons has a season and then three games of eighty-plus
2: run-blocking grades. Nineteenth percentile height at six foot four. Really? That's only
1: nineteenth percentile.
2: Yeah, there must be something. How in many the database freak shows are out there dragging that in the wrong direction? Who's skewing the average? How many under six four? How many guys no. are under six four playing tackle? The
1: fact like that six four is is only the nineteenth percentile means there must be a bunch of six foot eleven freak shows out there mm. dragging the thing high.
2: No, because there's just a lot of six six. There's just a lot of people at six six. I I don't know many tackles that are under six four, but you know that's another question. Um, yeah, thirty three inch arms are twenty second percentile, but he's overcoming that, Sam. Mm. It is funny because we spend so much time looking at those numbers, talking about those numbers, thinking about those numbers, and uh, there are the people that are the outliers that you know make them irrelevant basically slater's also been very good in the run game good grades gap runs and zone runs also avoids negatives extremely well and also 97th percentile positively graded run block rate since entering the nfl over the last couple years that's number three in the nfl so slater just a good all-around player and that's why he that's why he's above pen Sewell, as you mentioned that's why he's the top well one of the top tackles on the list there's still one more to go all right, number seven is cornerback Patrick Sertan from the Denver Broncos. Mm-hmm. And you know another guy who was good as a rookie, outstanding last year, 86.7 coverage grade. And he got overshadowed in that draft class because he was just really, really good. Yeah. But not a great athlete or anything special, but he was just a really good player. I think he got overshadowed a little bit in the 2021 he really did. quarterback class. He goes nine overall. It's not like... He was hated on.
1: No, but. and it but it was more of a I think it was more pre-draft than it was nf like the actual NFL. Like obviously you go in the top 10 the NFL things are really good. But he certainly never got the kind of love that you would have expected a guy I think that was as good as he was coming out as a prospect. I'd be interested to go back and look actually where he was in the consensus board that year because it felt like the narrative on him was always really low and it didn't really make any sense for that to be the case. Like he's got prototypical size 6'2, 208 pounds he's got long arms he's got you know big hands he's got the athleticism is all there four four flat basically um vertical jump broad jump like all the numbers you want are exactly where they should be and his tape was crazy like he didn't get beat at alabama certainly never like deep um so i don't really understand why He wasn't seen as a prospect as good as Sauce Gardner and Derek Stingley and, you know, the elite of the elite cornerbacks. And then he's come into the NFL and has been good right away and then took a giant step forward last year, was basically all pro caliber. And I think so far in that world of volatile, you know, production at the catch point, I think has caught the bad end of that variance. And I think there's like if he gets a year next year where he gets the lucky side of that chance and variance, he would immediately look like the best corner in the league
2: yeah with Sertan I'm not saying he was a bad athlete or anything he, like the workout numbers were good but he it was he was a tick below say a JC Horn who ran a little bit faster and a lot of the other uh, other metrics were better remember Caleb Farley was it yeah was that I mean class, he's in the
1: right? 80th percentile as opposed to the 90 something
2: yeah you know and we didn't see Farley's workouts or anything but he was long and super athletic when he was on the field had the back injury it just it just felt like Sertan Did get lost in the mix a little bit during the draft process when he was just a very, very good football player and has shown it in his first two years for the Broncos. So he's at number seven. At number six, center. We got a center on the list, Sam. It's Creed Humphrey from the Chiefs. Two years of play, two years of elite grades. Unbelievable in pass protection, run game. He is a rock in the middle of that Kansas City Chiefs offensive line.
1: We got like a siren that goes off when you get a center high on the list. Um we should. We should do it. Ding 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 ding. Yeah. I just checked the twenty twenty-one Consensus Board. Sertan was number ten. So the Consensus Board liked him, the NFL liked him. It did just feel like So right? we're making
2: all this up. Basically. Well,
1: it it's it's perception more than it's reality, apparently, that it just felt like the narrative around Sertan was not the hype that it maybe should have been based off every piece of evidence we have on Patrick Sertan. But to be fair, I mean okay, it's a better draft class, so it's not quite apples to apples, but This was, what, a year after Jeffrey Okuda went number three overall? It's a year before Sauce Gardner goes number four overall. I mean, you could make a case that he belongs in the top five, not the top ten.
2: So we're on to Creed Humphrey here, and we did have a question in the chat a little while ago What when I was mentioning the negatively graded blocks for Andrew Thomas. It was like, what's better, uh, more negatives or Mm -hmm. more positives, basically? Or fewer negatives or more positives, basically? Um, and I think I think over time more positives are better, but what we found is the difference is in consistency. So tackles, the more stable number tends to be avoiding negatives for tackles, and for interior players, the more stable numbers tends to be more positives. Meaning, for tackles, your ability to make good blocks is probably a little scheme dependent, right? And then for uh, interior players, you know, positives being more consistent. That's where Creed Humphrey shines, ninety sixth percentile positively graded run block rate also incredible from a pass blocking standpoint so Creed Humphrey's two-year profile oh yeah is really really good and some of the best we've seen for any sort of guard or center since uh, starting this
1: I think it also depends what the severity of the wins and losses so even just sticking to the run game a severe positive play I think is a bigger thing than a severe negative play because effectively the the potential payoff for the really good run is better than the potential catastrophe of the worst-case scenario, which is not quite the worst-case scenario, but if the worst-case realistic scenario is the guy gets tackled for a three-yard loss, right? Which is not the end of the world because if it's first and 10, it's second and 13, it's an obvious passing down, but we're still fine, right? Whereas you make a really, uh, really impactful positive block that opens up a giant lane, and all of a sudden we might be talking about a 25-yard run, and if the running back's good, we could be taking it to the house. You know, the potential payoff for those big plays I think is much bigger than the potential downside
2: to the bad ones. There's also the work that our um, data scientists have done, our uh, analytics team has done on quote uh, perfectly blocked plays, hmm. where basically there's when there's no negative EPA on runs, better than pass plays. It's actually better than passes. So if you just don't lose, if nobody loses up front, whether there's some level of positives or neutrals, whatever it is, if there's just no losses up front, EPA is through the roof. But as soon as you add one negative block to the mix, whether it's the backside tackle, the frontside guard, whatever it is, everything falls apart historically as far as run game goes. Which reminds me, I'm speaking at the uh, Cool Clinic again. Oh, yeah? Six-time keynote speaker at the uh, premier offensive line clinic in the world hmm this week used to be in cincinnati it's been virtual the last couple of years but uh cool clinic keynote speaker over here it's be goal line with anybody yeah just me and a bunch of football guys talking ball nice this weekend
1: you should get yourself down to uh, ol masterminds with duke down in frisco wherever they are duke
2: should be inviting me there i don't i don't think he has any other six-time keynote speakers <laughs> i gotta get the picture i'm it's just me and uh you know dante skarnecki i, I led into dante last year yeah I'm just going to pass it off to Dante Scarnecchia. Just from one O-line guru to another. Yes, absolutely. Right? That's what, that's what I did last year. Yeah. Bunch of football dudes talking ball. Just football guys. This weekend. So, anyway, Creed Humphrey's awesome. Yep. He's at six. All right, number five. Oh, I'd put him at one. Sauce Gardner. Mm. Jets cornerback.
1: Well, we're now in the period of the— These guys are all good. We're now in the backlash period of Sauce Gardner's career, right, where— you know, yeah, okay, he was incredible year one, but we've only seen one year. You know, he might stink next year. Everything all the everything we were talking about with Tariq Woolen and Travon Diggs. Maybe next year Sauce Gardner gets lit up like a Christmas tree. It we're is not even listen, talking about him as a
2: good player. I d I I don't know that it's gonna happen because I think I I think he's really good. <laughs> but it is true, like he could have a year from a production standpoint that doesn't look as good. Of like course. So it is fair to be a little more cautious. Now, if Sauce puts another elite season together, once you stack up elite seasons yeah. at corner, he might be number one on this list next year.
1: Right, but it's also, you know, in this world of black and white, polar opposites, like, let's let's correctly articulate what we're talking about here. Okay, AJ Terrell is a good example of just how volatile it can be. We were talking, what, high 50s, low 60s grades, and then an 85 or something in the middle, Right. Sauce Gardner ended up with a 90 coverage grade uh, for the entire season. His numbers were nuts. 45.9% completion rate allowed, 53.9% passer rating allowed. Crazy numbers. One touchdown, as we said, and that was a, a kind of debatable communication breakdown. Then you look at his college career where he didn't give up a touchdown for the entirety of his college career. The numbers were nuts through the entirety of that as well. So, what I'm saying is we have a very consistent and extremely high baseline of play. Now, we just talked about how volatile coverage play can be and how subject to chance it is, particularly at the catch point. So if 14 pass breakups and two interceptions ends up converting itself you know, lower and a few of those are caught and blah, 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 then all of a sudden we are talking about a significantly worse season. But it isn't a season that takes it from being the best corner in the NFL last year, which he was. He was an all-pro by our metric, by the official AP as well, he was an all-pro, he was the best corner in the league. It doesn't take it from that to he now stinks. It takes it from that to now you're somewhere in the middle of the pack where you're just good. So when we backlash in this world of, ah, we don't know anything about Sauce Gardner yet, and that's not true, right? We know that he's capable of being the best corner in the NFL. We don't know if he's capable of doing that for multiple seasons in a row, but we probably should also assume that he's not going to revert and become one of the worst corners in the NFL. At a minimum, he should stay being a good starting cornerback.
2: I, I do think his uh, the recognition that Sauce got last year. I, I think you know having PFF helps that. It, you know he only had he only had two interceptions. And again, like I right. said, I think a lot of Seahawks fans are like, "Well, how could Sauce Gardner be better than Tariq Woolen, who had six interceptions?" It's because you know given up. 361 receiving yards in a 17-game schedule. Um, he was targeted 74 times. That wasn't a ton, but you know, 36th in the NFL. I'm wondering this year, does this – because Sauce usually he's going to line up on one side of the field. He's not going to uh, track or anything like that. Are we going to see Sauce Gardner become one of those guys who doesn't get targeted? Is Maybe. he going to have 40 targets yeah. this year? It's going to be two, two per game, two and a half per game right is that what sauce gardner becomes and he'll never have an opportunity for interceptions or in his past breakups will go from 14 to 7 or whatever it might be
1: he also by the way he had six games where he gave up less than 10 yards right he had four more where he gave up less than 20 yards like the the baseline of performance on a week-to-week basis was crazy i mean that's an that's such a that's basically not your receiver is not a factor in this game
2: you know so he's good, man. He could be number one on this list next year. He could drop because it's cornerback. But uh, I'm expecting Sauce Gardner to be uh, in this mix going forward. But that, like, the
1: the volatility, the unknown about what he would do next year is probably the only thing keeping him
2: away from being yeah, number Yeah, like, which is the nature of the position, not yeah, so much him as a player. Exactly. All right, number four is wide receiver Jamar Chase, Cincinnati Bengals. It is. Indeed. Chase is awesome. Yeah, I mean
1: – one of the best rookie seasons we've seen ever from a wide receiver and then backed it up in year two and looked pretty much the same player. Um, yeah, I mean, Jamar Chase has been absolutely phenomenal, and it shows the caliber of player in the NFL under 25 right now that he is not number one. Same thing with Sauce Gardner, actually. I would say I was saying that the only thing keeping Gardner away from number one, number two, whatever, is the unknown that he might take a step back near. It's actually not. When you look at who number one, number two and number three and number four are I mean these are insanely good players that have already stacked up multiple
2: years those are the guys that are gonna maybe keep you back um I think uh Jamar Chase there was times last year you know so as, as a rookie Jamar Chase averaged 17 yards per catch right yeah. he was the, the Bengals offense started kind of slow they were run heavy and then all of a sudden it was like oh burrowed to chase for 50 yards like that was happening on the regular 40 yard touchdowns 50 yard touchdowns uh big plays left and right 2.44 yards per route which is an outstanding number last year the Bengals turned him there were certain games where they were like we just want to get Jamar Chase the ball we're not just going to rely on him winning on the outside teams were taking away Jamar Chase so they started to not scheme him open but just move him around a little bit hey you're going to work out of the slot you're going to work the underneath routes a little bit so he average his average depth of target dropped by about three yards but the production was still extremely high for Jamar Chase so it's going to be fascinating to see. I'm not I'm not saying this is like Randy Moss directly, but like Randy Moss is rookie season, right? He averaged like 18 yards per catch, whatever it was. A couple of years later, you had the Randy ratio where they were trying to say, we can't just rely on Randy Moss running down the field. He's our best player. We have to put the ball in his hands. Yeah. And the production didn't look the same. You didn't have the same number of touchdowns, explosives, yards per reception. So Chase's yards per reception number dropped by like five, almost five yards. I'm interested to see what they do with him going forward. And it it might just be a week-to-week thing, but clearly the Bengals – We're trying to find a way to put the ball in Chase's hands when he was healthy, and he had some high-volume games, and he had some other games where he was just the explosive deep threat.
1: Yeah, there's a couple of things, I think, that are similar to the Randy Moss story, which is, you know, year one, I think, Jamar Chase surprised people when they played him for the first time, and it wasn't the same for the same reason. Like, Randy Moss surprised people because it's like, okay, even though you know that guy's big and fast, once you see it on a field, it's like, oh, holy crap, this is a different world. Like, there's nobody. We have never seen somebody – that looks like that on the field. And when you see it for the first time in the flesh, it's just, it's shocking. Um, you go look at pictures, there's a college kids trying to cover Randy Moss is just absurd. Jamar Chase had some of that, not because he was so fast, so big, but because it it looked different on tape, I think. And when you saw Jamar Chase in the flesh for the first time, it, it surprised people how effective it was. And then the second thing is, I think year two was an example of what happens when some of the things that happened in that first year, independent of just surprising people, was just good end of variance. You know, there's a bunch of plays where he kind of made a play out of nothing, and it, it like a high explosive play that—
2: 65-yard slant. Right, and stuff like catches like like
1: that. the ball, outruns the entire defense, takes it to the house, and it's like, okay, that's a big play, it's great, it's a really— good thing that you did it's also not a particularly sustainable model like those don't happen every week so I think what we saw last year was effectively the same season minus the high variance plays that just don't repeat every year like you're not going to stack up those insane volume of crazy big 50 yard plays and that was again similar to Randy Moss where you know his game had to evolve a little bit because he wasn't going to be able to catch three passes for 160 yards and three
2: touchdowns against Dallas every week all right, so Jamar Chase, number four, number three, Tristan Wirfs, right tackle for the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, another incredible start to to his career. Three uh first three years, just really good across the board from a pass blocking standpoint, from a run blocking standpoint. I guess the only question for Wirfs, you know, he came in when, with Tom Brady basically yeah. in 2020 will whoever the quarter whoever the quarterback is will not be as qb friendly when it comes to pass protection as in getting rid of the ball in under 2.5 seconds as often as brady so you might see a production dip for worse but it doesn't take away how good he's been as a player
1: no he's been fantastic it's going to be interesting to watch though like for the for essentially the first year now um what that looks like he i haven't run the numbers yet but I would imagine over that three-year period Tom Brady had the fastest average time to throw in the NFL maybe Roethlisberger pipped him based off his last couple of years Um, so it's it's like what we were talking about a year ago for Pittsburgh right they're going to be going from one end of that spectrum to somewhere else even if it's in the middle it's a big change in what you are expecting from a pass blocking standpoint your job is getting more difficult there's there's no way around that so Tristan Wirfs has been absolutely phenomenal on an easier average set of responsibilities and blocking assignments than other tackles. Is he able to maintain the same level of elite play, which I think is the lowest pressure rate in the NFL for a tackle over that period of time, with a quarterback that holds onto the
2: ball longer? Incredible consistency for Wirfs, 84, 84, 83 overall grades in the first three years of his career. We talk a lot about the year three breakout for offensive linemen. I usually think about that through the lens of this guy was not great initially and in his first two years, and then you could take this big leap forward. It is special, though, when you see guys hit the ground running and then have that level of consistency. It's, it's not common. The, no. the, the players on this list, you know, your are uh, Rashawn Slaters of the world. Some of those guys have been able to do that. Worse has done it at a different level, though, compared to others.
1: I done run the numbers. Uh, Roethlisberger got?
2: had the fastest average time to throw in
1: the NFL over that over worse career, two point two two seconds. Tom Brady is second. So. so
2: I I even have um, I actually have Timo's uh, survival curve because I'm throwing that into my cool clinic presentation. Mm-hmm. The Bucks are interesting because their pass protection was really good up to three seconds. After three seconds, though, it like it fell apart. So it didn't it didn't happen often, but it did fall apart after three seconds. I'm not saying that's worse. I'm just saying the Bucks. Last year, you didn't necessarily. That shows because Brady's always getting rid of the ball pretty quickly, you're not always putting that pressure on the O line. There'll be more pressure on them this year.
1: That range, by the way, is basically between 2.2 seconds and 3.2 or 3.3. So it's essentially a second either side of two and a half seconds. Two and a half seconds is probably about the average. Um, So, and that doesn't sound like much, but every single pass blocking snap, essentially half a second longer, is what it's likely to take next year. It adds up. You know, oh, those pressure
2: are, rate directly correlates with how long yeah, that's play what play takes. So basically.
1: for a guy like Wurfs or anybody After else that's point. coming out of that yeah. situation, you're literally every single time over the season you pass block, it's now you gotta, You got to
2: hold it a we're, beat longer. Wurfs is also likely to move to left tackle this year. Just another something to keep an eye on. All right, we're to, down to the final two. I don't know how you'd separate these two guys. At number two, we have Justin Jefferson, Miami Vikings. Uh, what? miami what now (sighs) miami vice i was gonna say miami vikings Mm. the minnesota vikings not miami minnesota vikings wide receiver justin jefferson three straight years of elite pff receiving grades yeah and he's only number two on the list yeah what is his numbers must be starting to
1: stack up you know like we must be reaching the point now where we're putting together those
2: graphics or like greatest three-year run in NFL history, blah, blah, blah. Look, number, number one's Micah Parsons from the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. So we might be, and I think there's a healthy debate between who you would put at number one on this list. And we might be debating Jerry Rice and Lawrence Taylor here. Wow. It's like poured us back into 1988, and we're saying, who's the best player in the NFL? Is it Jerry Rice or is it Lawrence Taylor? Is that, is, that too, is that too crazy? I mean, not based off three years, you know? I mean, we'll see what happens for the rest of their careers and all that stuff. But Justin Jefferson has been as good as any receiver first three years in his career. I know it's a whole new era, all that stuff. But he's been incredible relative to his peers as well. And Micah Parsons, pretty much the same thing. Position versatility, unblockable when he just throw him in there as a pass rusher like that's what we're debating right here between Justin Jefferson and Micah Parsons
1: I mean we've made this point before but the Chicago Bears have been around since 1920 and their leading receiver in team history has 5,059 yards Justin Jefferson has 4,800 yards right now after three years with the Vikings and you know he's had Kirk Cousins as his quarterback so it's not like he's benefiting from Mahomes or you know Tom Brady or whatever back there his production you know, out of the gate has been absolutely crazy. Um, And I think the Vikings are doing a good enough job of sort of maintaining just enough of a secondary threat that you can't completely eradicate him, you know, by focusing in solely on him. But three straight years of over 50%, sorry, over 48% contested catch rate, over 52% for his entire career. He's good after the catch. He doesn't drop that many. He's just as good a wide receiver as your, there is in the NFL right now.
2: And Justin has been Jefferson. since he stepped onto the field. The Giants did do a nice job against Justin Jefferson. Sure. That's why drafting Jordan Addison is is so important. Jordan Addison is once he becomes the starter, which I think will happen pretty quickly for the Vikings, he'll have more opportunities with Jefferson and Parsons as well. All of these players, right? Like these special players, I can't wait to see what the cat and mouse game is defensively. Well, how much extra attention can you give Justin Jefferson, right? Like you had Jair Alexander had games where he shut Jefferson down um, to a point when they were when they were one-on-one. It wasn't a lot of one-on-ones, but they were – he did a nice job against him, right? And the, it, But it's like these are like one game – these are games that are far and few between. Micah Parsons gets quote-unquote shut down every now and then when, you, when he gets all sorts of double-team attention and all that stuff. But that's how special these guys are. You can't literally produce at a high level every single week – But at the end of the season, Justin Jefferson, incredible production. Micah Parsons, incredible production.
1: You ever looked at the list of those all-time leading Bears receivers, by the way? No. It's actually... it's it's Bobby Ingram. So, um, the number of players in the top end of this list that are... Can you not
2: derail this? I have to go... Okay, just, just, you know, we're almost there. I have a meeting. We're, We're almost there. I have an appointment with an NFL team.
1: Yeah, we're almost there. The number of these players that weren't wide receivers is insane. Like, Walter Payton is number four in this list, running back. Uh, Mike Ditka, tight end, number five. Matt Forte, running back, number seven. Uh, the guy at number one, somebody called Johnny Morris, you know, we're talking like old school running back slash wide receiver thing back in the whenever, like the dark ages. Same thing with the guy that's number two was a was an end, you know, back in the 1930s or nineteen. 19- 40s or whatever it was 50s he was playing an end could have been split could have been tight that's what i mean you know when you just didn't bother labeling it because he's just the guy at the end um their leading receiver of all time second the leading receiver is the guy that was the halfback slash wide receiver is he the best end in bears history it's just this is a it's an absolutely unbelievable list of futility
2: way to lose all the drama of the number one overall player here yeah that we're discussing
1: marty booker is like number
2: eight on this list yeah. Having been there, you know, a few years, earning moderate statistics, he caught all, all of Cade Mcnown's screens. Anyway, we're trying to debate Jerry Rice and Lawrence Taylor here. Justin okay. Jefferson and Micah Parsons. Uh-huh. Jefferson has answered every question coming in. Mm-hmm. Is he just a slot only? No. Can he win at the catch point? Yes. Incredible fourth and eighteen was it against the Bills last year? The the one handed catch. So he does it all. Um, Jefferson has been, I think, the catalyst for the Vikings passing game, of course, but. Um, year one, it felt like it was a little garbage timey in uh, 2020, but since then it's like, doesn't matter. Game on the line, whatever it is, Justin Jefferson is incredible. And then Micah Parsons. We're going to see more of a full time move to edge this year, whatever that means. There was a handful of games last year where he did play a more traditional linebacker, but he's basically been an edge defender. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's putting all this weight on. I don't know if that's going to affect him, but Parsons has been the guy. More so even than a Bosa or Miles Garrett, I think when you leave him one-on-one, he's probably going to win more often than not. And more often than not, in the NFL, it's like 30% of the time, 35% of the time. That doesn't actually make sense. But a great win rate one-on-one is 35%, 40% of the time, and that's where Parsons is. Other guys are probably in the 20% range, right? You can't leave Micah Parsons one-on-one because he will destroy games. Oh, if you're over 20%, you're... I'm saying one-on-one, not just overall yeah. pass rush win rate. I'm talking like there's no help right? as well.
1: No, I mean, Micah Parsons is... From almost right away, he was getting comparisons to, to Lawrence Taylor, one of the greatest defenders in NFL history. And unlike other players where sometimes you get those comparisons and it's like, okay, come on, we're being silly here. It made sense. Now, it might not have made sense in terms of the guy's going to get, you know, an insane number of career sacks or blah, blah, blah. But in terms of the devastation that he wreaked on opposing offensive lines or blocking schemes or quarterbacks, like that guy was playing the game at a different pace and violence and physicality level than the people that were trying to block him. And that is maintained from year one to year two. And yeah, like I don't. We talked about this before. I don't really think there's anything to this idea of he's a full-time edge now. He was a full-time edge last year. But the point being, he's one of the most destructive pass rushers in
2: the game and has been since day one. So there we go. It's the top 25 players under 25. If you're upset, and you might be, Trevor Sykema is Mm. your guy at Tampa Bay Trey. Go find him on Twitter. Chat Track was asking
1: about uh, Jalen Hurts, who is a perfect example of the man's 24 right now. The man will not be 24 week one of the NFL season.
2: Jalen so. Hurts, ineligible correct for our list when the arbitrary age cut off. Mm-hmm. That's right, ineligible. So um, let us know. What do you think? Let us know in the chat, in the comments, what you think of this list, but uh, mostly not because you're mad at us, but because you're mad at Trevor. Mm-hmm. He made the uh, the final call on all these. No, I think Trevor did a great job. It's a good list. It's fun it's a fun list to put together. It's also fun to see, hey, a couple of Cowboys in the top 10, a bunch of Falcons in the, in the top 25 and everything. Try to see those teams that are well-positioned going forward with young talent. So um, let us know who's going to be on the list next year as well and who we forgot. So uh, do you have an idea what's going on tomorrow? You have Brad no. coming back in. No clue. Probably Brad Spielberger back in for tomorrow. I do have a, a very special secret meeting I have to run to. Hmm. So okay. I'm going to go do that right now. Maybe bring in the, the draft model. Wow. Maybe, maybe present in the model. Say, hey, you draft with this. You bring the podium? I should bring the podium yeah. to answer questions. Right. I should. Yeah, I'll the do backdrop. That. They might have their own podium set up. Maybe. Anyway. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again tomorrow with more PFF NFL Podcast.